everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Throw Over Noise. I'm one of your co-hosts. My name is Jeff. The other co-host, as usual, is Mark A. Johnston. Mark, it's baseball season. Oh my gosh, I, I was watching some spring training games and, and so on like that. It was even like a, a collegiate game that had me uh, fascinated just because right now I'm so desperate for baseball. I, I will watch I will watch uh, spring training games. That's how desperate I am. Yeah, I'm enjoying the college softball and baseball games more than I am the spring training. Because, yeah, agreed, agreed. It's been fun. Yeah, I mean, for, for baseball fans, you like to watch a little bit of spring training, but it's like you don't know half the guys. You just want to get make it count. But I did notice this. Let's, uh, let's jump right into our BP segment here, Mark, uh, before we get too far here. I was watching some softball. Softball's been going for about three weeks now, baseball for two in, in NCAA. Softball coaches... I don't know if you've watched any softball. It seems that they can wear whatever they rolled out of bed with. Like, whatever they slept in, that's what they're coaching in. I saw a coach this weekend with baseball pants on, but an untucked polo shirt with long sleeves underneath. Come on. One coach, uh, she was coaching third wearing real short athletic shorts. Like, Connie Mack would be rolling over in his grave. (laughs) Obviously, baseball is the only sport where coaches dressed in in a uniform. Right. College baseball, the coaches adhere to that. But college softball, it's it's, it's the Wild West, baby. <laughs> it's whatever you want to wear out there. Go for it. But uh, it's still fun to, fun to watch. And obviously, we've got uh, actual spring training games. I've got something I want to talk about there in a minute. But now, this is something... This is this is synergy with some of our listeners, Mark. I saw something uh, on social media that was very interesting to me, and not less than 24 hours after I saw it, one of our longtime listeners, Marshall, sent me a DM with the exact same uh, post on it, saying that we might find this interesting. It's interesting, but it's not a good thing if you're starting to think like me. It's- yeah, I, I, I would vouch for uh, just letting you know, Marshall. The post here in question was uh, some similarities. So in 1998, two expansion teams came into the league, the Tampa Bay at that point, Devil Rays and the Arizona Diamondbacks. This is some really interesting numbers of how these two teams have essentially mirrored each other since since they joined the league. Both, uh, well, let's look at games played. So the Rays have played 3,946. The Diamondbacks, 3,948. So two more games for the Diamondbacks. Wins for the Rays, 1,912. For the D-backs, 1,914. So if the Rays go 2-0 and and the D-backs don't play two games, they're even. Losses each, 2,034. Straight across wow. the board. Win-loss percentage, both teams, 485. Wow. Batting average, both teams, 255. ERA, Rays, 4.25, D-backs, 4.26. That's just uncanny. Yeah, then it gets a little bit a little bit more wonky. I mean, the Rays have made the playoffs more, but the D-backs, of course, have a World Series right. title. So I think ultimately the, the D-backs are the more successful club at this point, if you're just looking at history. And they have two more wins in the regular season. That's, that's two big wins, man. <laughs> well, it does. Yeah, let's see. They've got two more wins than the Rays, and they've got one more World Series. So what does that tell you? Those two wins were very important. <laughs> Obviously, those were the most important wins in franchise history. Yes. yes. Well, speaking of the Rays, 
They made an announcement last week. They are going to be wearing throwback Devil Ray jerseys on opening day and for all Friday home games. Interesting. I I have feelings about those uniforms. Remember, it says Devil Rays, and it's got the, the Devil Ray on it, but it's like kind of a, a gradient. The color on it is a gradient between like green and yellowish. I think of I think of Wade Boggs and Fred McGriff and Jose Canseco wearing those uniforms. Yeah, yeah. But the Marlins, uh, there's something in the water. Well, we know there's something in the water in Florida, but uh, the baseball water. The Marlins also announced that they are going to be wearing throwback teal uniforms on their Friday home games this season. Oh, wow. If you're going to a, a game in Florida on a Friday this season, you'll get some some good looks. So, Mark, what do you think? Uh, we're we're through uh, we're through a handful of spring training games here. I know you've been watching them. What do you think about the pitch clocks, uh, seeing them at the ballparks here? Um, you know, it's going to take some getting used to. I'm not saying I dislike the idea because we do want to move the games along. I understand that. But it's it's pretty bold and in your face. It's not like some little clock off yeah. in the corner. <laughs> Let me tell you. So, Mark, you know, I have anxiety issues. I have I have a lot of issues. Anxiety plays a big part in my life. I'm having a hard time watching these games. <laughs> All I'm doing is staring at that clock. Uh, yeah. It is really... I did read, uh, Jeff Passan tweeted out that in the regular season in big league ballparks, the clocks are not located where they are in the spring training. They will not be in that center field shot. Thank goodness. But I do know, I mean, I was just watching the Mets broadcast today and they said that they are working on getting the clock on the score bug. You know, I I think it probably needs to be somewhere, but man, that's going to, it's going to be a change for me how I watch ball games because... Yeah, it, it does take your eye directly towards you're watching that clock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and I, I mean, agree. of course, it was big news over the weekend. We had a, a, a walk-off. Uh, not, well, it was a walk-off. The game was ended on a uh, on the, the, the batter not being in the box and ready to go on time. Yeah. And so he got a, a strike, and that ended the game with the bases loaded. Ouch, yeah. Ugh. It's, uh, it's going to take some getting used to. There's going to be a lot of complaining at first. Just like with any time you, you update anything. Yeah, I'm curious to see. I mean, like in the NFL, I don't know much about the NFL, but I know that the play clock, it needs to actually go to zero. And then the ref needs to look from that game clock down to where the ball is being snapped. So there's that little bit of leeway between zero and when they're going to throw the flag. I know during spring training here, they've been told, hey, we are doing this by the numbers. As soon as that hits zero, you're calling a ball or a strike. I'm wondering how long that'll last. I, I just, I don't know. We've, we've tried this before. What was it like almost a decade ago where you couldn't step out of the box? The batter couldn't step out of the box. Right. It, that went away within the first week of spring training. Yeah, it didn't go over well. So no. we'll see. I, I think it'll stay, but I'm not sure how strict they're going to be or if the times they're starting with, they might they might tweak a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, the the thing is, is that there's so many rule changes that are pretty drastic, all happening at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah, you know. Well, one thing that has not changed uh, watching MLB TV is during commercial breaks, they're doing this baseball ASMR thing again, and it's not my favorite. I got to keep muting in between uh, innings because I'm <laughs> just tired of hearing uh, somebody running slowly. You know, in the dirt sound. And st- I'm hoping that it's just spring training. I'm hoping they come up with something new for the regular season. But I don't. I just don't care for ASMR. So 
that's just me. But Mark, speaking of MLB TV, I brought this up last year. I took advantage of it. This year, it's even better. Now, we are not obviously not sponsored by the uh, Major League Baseball Players Union, uh, but you can join the Players Union for as low as $25. And for that, you get 50% off MLB.tv this year. So, Holy moly. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I know, Mark, you, you've, you're you on T-Mobile or something right. where you get it for free. Right. But if you, if you have to pay for it, uh, this is a, a heck of a deal because this year also MLB TV includes ma- uh, minor league baseball. So MILB TV, which used to That's be like awesome. an extra 20 bucks you had to pay for that. That is included, but the overall price has gone up $10. Sure. Plus, you get emails from Jim Tomey. Which is fantastic. I know. I've gotten several times I've looked at my my email, and it's like, you've got email from Jim Tomey. I'm like, it's, it's just, it's Tuesday. It's another Tuesday. But you also get a lot of discounts on other things. Some of them are baseball related. You get a discount on Rawlings. I just bought a new outfield glove from Mizuno. Now I find out they give a discount as well. So if you like paying full price, uh, you know, by all means, go for it. I love it. (laughs) But if you don't, you essentially get 33% off. You donate $25 to the Players Union. They send you a link for 50% off of MLB TV. So you're paying $75. Total, it's $100. Well, normally, if you pay for it, it's $150. It's a good deal. I will put the link where you can go. This isn't any kind of affiliate link. We're, we make nothing off this. I'm just telling you, our loyal listeners, that you can get MLB TV for 50% off this year. Plus, you get some other baseball stuff from the Players Union and those Jim Tomei emails, which he is personally writing and sending, I can guarantee you. Yeah, I know he's spending hours and hours yeah. responding to each of those he emails. He didn't know what he was getting into when he when he decided right. to. He didn't think it through. He's yeah. like, I got to send this Jeff guy another email. Jeez. <laughs> All right, Mark, let's get into trivia. I asked the question last week. I, I like these, these height-related stolen base questions, I guess, and weight. Height and weight stolen base-related questions. Last week, I asked, who was the tallest player ever to steal a base in the regular season? Got several uh, several responses, Mark. Uh, did you get any? Do you have any guesses? Um, I had I had a couple uh, a couple guys that wrote in. Um, one of them said, "How about Richie Sexton at six foot eight? And the other said, "Tony Clark was also six foot eight. Likewise, those are the same answers I got. Now we are a baseball reference uh, podcast here. That's where we go to for all of our baseball related information. And Richie Sexton there is listed as six seven. Ah. Now, I don't know. I'm all for giving some leeway here. If somebody's measured him at 6'8 at some point and listed it, I'm, I'm all for, for letting that be in there as well. The, uh, the answers that I had going into this was Tony Clark, who I think was also on the, uh, the, the heaviest player to steal a base. But also, this is the one that nobody got, was J.R. Richard. Oh, wow. Pitcher. No, that did not cross my mind. Yeah. So J.R. Richard actually has two career stolen bases, 77 and 78. He got a bag each of those seasons, and he is listed at 6'8". <laughs> wow. So we'll give... I, I would not have come up with that. Yeah, so let's, like let's give some names here. So for fall, do you want to... Did you have anybody give you the right answer? Well, uh, Eric Harwood said it was Richie Sexton, and he may very well be right, depending on who's doing the measuring. 
Yep. And uh, Andrew Evans, uh, Tony Clark. Tony Clark. Right. So, yep. so we'll, we'll give them both to him. And and I like how Andrew points out he's a non-angry Brewers fan who <laughs> loves Black Taxi Rose. All right. So from my end, uh, I received answers from the uh, the usual clue. We've got Shane Swarsnack, uh, Brian Krause, Dan Clark, and uh, our... Now, I know who this is, but they, they seem to appreciate sending us messages as their name uh, when they get it right. So I think this one is directed at you again, Mark. You've been in the crosshairs the last two weeks. Uh, also getting it right is can't be a fan of both the Mariners and Astros. Pick a team, bro. <laughs> Wow. You know, there's some truth to that, really. I got to do some thinking. Yeah, I mean, it was different when, especially when the Astros were in the, the National League. But now right, it was different. Both yeah. in the AL West. I think you need to you need to plant your flag. And, Ugh, not easy to do, man. No, not when you work for one of them. It's... <laughs> All right. Uh, new question. Neither the Marlins nor the Rays have ever had a gold glover at shortstop. Which team that has had a gold glove winner at shortstop has gone the longest since winning an award there. Ooh. So which team has gone the longest since having a gold glove winner at shortstop? Wow. Okay. That's going to take some thinking. Yeah. This one's, uh, I think this one's a little bit on the harder side. I think it's doable. I mean, especially if you just want to go through and look at every uh, shortstop gold glove winner for the past <laughs> <laughs> however many years. That's the way you roll. Go for it. All right, that's going to wrap up our BP segment, Mark. Let's head into the main part of the show. I'm uh, I'm excited for this. Um, I'm doing the story this week, and I tend to like to try to bounce back and forth between a more contemporary player and somebody, you know, f- from the olden days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether that be pre 1900s or early 1900s, but uh, this time I went with a, a much more contemporary player. And I'm excited to talk about him because he played for the A's at one point, won a World Series with the A's. I'm going to talk about Dave Parker, the Cobra. Oh, very nice. I like it. So Dave Parker is listed on baseball reference as 6'5", 230 pounds. He's a big dude. So it should come as no surprise that when he came into this world, June 9th, 1951, he weighed 11 pounds, 14 ounces. Somebody should give his mother a medal for that. that Man, I guess. That's a big, big baby. Uh, he was born in Grenada, Mississippi, but the family, Dave and his uh, five other siblings, moved to Cincinnati, where he grew up just a strong outfield throw from Crosley Field, where he learned to play baseball in the stadium's parking lots. As you would expect, Parker was a great athlete in school. He got a lot of scholarship offers to play football as a tailback because... Who the heck wants to tackle Dave Parker coming out of the backfield? No. I mean, if he was 11 pounds, 14 ounces at birth, I'm going to assume in high school he was pretty big as well. Yeah, I'm assuming so, yeah. Yeah, he's, um, it, and he's still he's, he's a big guy. He also excelled at baseball, as you could have guessed, as an outfielder and catcher. He had a good arm, and both those positions took advantage of that. But he hurt his knee playing football his senior year, so he decided to focus his career on baseball. Dave was drafted by the Pirates in 1970, and he performed really well at every level in the minors, earning Player of the Year honors and often leading each league in just about every offensive category, as well as excelling defensively. In 1973, as a member of the Pirates' AAA minor league ball club, the Charleston Charlies, 
Charleston, West Virginia Charlies. Now, I'm wondering if they ever played the Georgetown Georges or the Allentown <laughs> Allens. Well, yeah, that's a well thought out. Real clever. Name. What about yeah. the Jefferson Jeffs? That Now, see, I'd buy that hat. I'd well, buy see, that hat in a minute. Now you're talking about like my dad and his name was Ray. So when they came out with hats, it just said Ray's. He thought that was the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Well, if they all are together and wearing the hats, then you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so Parker, uh, during his time in Charleston, hit what might have been the longest home run in the history of the planet. The Charleston Charlies, it's in West Virginia, right? A lot of coal mining goes on there. So there's a lot of railroad tracks and, and trains going by. So the, the Charlies played on a field that had railroad tracks just beyond the outfield fence. So legend has it that he had a home run that landed on a coal car that was passing by the stadium as he hit it. And the ball was later found in Columbus, Ohio, which that's is a long home run. That's 41 miles away. So, that is a long home run. Man. Now, this is this, Parker says this never happened, but I'm still going to pretend that it did. He said he tried to do this often, but he he didn't remember ever doing it. But I'm going to stick with a 41 mile home run. <laughs> in that same year, the Pirates outfielder Gene Kleins hurt his ankle and the Bucks called up Parker. They stuck him in the leadoff spot for Parker's first three games, a spot that he would never again inhabit the entirety of his career. Not a shocker. Not really your traditional leadoff batter. He platooned and was injured for the first two seasons in the big leagues until he was finally given the chance to be the everyday right fielder. All he did in the next five seasons was win two batting titles, lead the league in slugging twice, earned three gold gloves, and in 1977, he had 26 assists from the outfield. My goodness. The only person that's ever had more was 27, and that was another Pirates right fielder named Roberto Clemente, who yeah, he was good too, I think. also had a bit of a cannon on him. One of Parker's well-known moments came in 1978 when he collided with Mets catcher John Stearns at home plate. Parker received a couple of stitches over his eye, but the next day it had swollen completely shut. He was actually begging to get in the lineup the next day, but the Bucks instead put him on the DL. When he came back, though, he was sporting a new look. The first trip to the plate was kind of a, you know, stuff nightmares are made of scenario. First of all, he's in the on-deck circle, and Parker was swinging a sledgehammer instead of a weighted back. And this <clears> is something that Willie Stargell would do as well. That's where he learned it from. And I just think looks cool as heck. Oh, I agree. So he's standing there swinging the sledgehammer, but he's also wearing a black and gold hockey mask. Friday the 13th hadn't come out at this point, but you can imagine that's still a pretty intimidating look. This huge guy is 6'5", 230, swinging a sledgehammer and wearing a pirate's hockey mask is pretty intimidating. The mask was short-lived, though. I mean, it was he couldn't really see out of it, which generally is a major league batter. You want to be yeah. able to see the, the pitch coming at you. So uh, he's, I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. He switched to a football-style mask after that game, which set off a trend among similarly injured players and scared the heck out of second baseman Joe Morgan of the Reds. <laughs> so much so that he threatened to sue Parker if he ever sustained an injury in the event that two players collided at second base and he was wearing that mask. Wow. So he even had the umpire force Parker to remove the mask when he got on first base one time when they were playing the Reds. And as fate would have it, the next pitch was put in play 
Grounder to shortstop. So Parker's going in hard to second to break up the double play and upends Morgan, who wasn't hurt, but he was scared. (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. So was this the first time a baseball player wore a football style face mask? No, it was not. As a matter of fact, September 1958, quote, a special helmet fitted with a football type face mask guarding bars, unquote, was prepared for Billy Martin, who was then with Cleveland after he'd been beaned by a pitch a month earlier. Okay. So, yeah, Billy Martin once again at the forefront of uh, baseball style. Parker signed a new contract with the Pirates in 1979. He became the first million-dollar player in the game. But uh, also, long before Bobby Bonilla, the contract was structured to pay Parker at least $7.7 million, but it would be paid out over 30 years. So a harbinger to the Bobby Bonilla deal. No doubt. Dave Parker way ahead. Parker lived up to that contract in the beginning as an all-star that year. He made two of the most jaw-dropping throws in an all-star game that year in Seattle. First, misplaying a ball in right off the bat of Jim Rice before Jim Rice made the not-so-wise decision to try and stretch it into a triple. Jim Rice, 0 for 3 tonight against Mike Lacoste. Pops it up, right side. Parker. Morgan, lost they lost, lost it. it, it drops, and it's a two-base hit, and Rice is going to try for three, and he will not make it. Dave Parker are talking to each other out there now, Morgan and Parker. That's part of what we told you about, the Bermuda Triangle from second base to right around that spot, back out towards center field, but what a recovery to show a tremendous throwing arm with a perfect one-hopper to say to get Rice. Wow. So <laughs> that's what's funny about that, though, is that was uh, Joe Morgan. Didn't want to run into Dave Parker back there again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but just, uh, man, a seed to get Jim Rice at third. Then in the eighth inning, the game is tied 6-6. Greg Nettles hits a ball to deep right field. Coming up throwing as trying to score on the play is Brian Downing. Once again, here comes this just cannon from right and uh, Dave Parker. Line drive, right field. We may have a play at the plate. Big hop. Here comes Downing. Here's a throw. It is. He knocked him off the plate. What a tag by Carter. A tremendous play by Carter. Oh, baby, what a play. And what a throw by Dave Parker who continues to show Now, I'm. why is Carter getting all the love on this play is what I'm wondering. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering that, too. This is crazy, man, because I was at that game. I definitely wanted to ask you about that. I want to describe this play first a little bit more. So a one-hop single to uh, Parker in, in right, and he just comes up and on the fly throws a seed to Gary Carter, who Carter is doing a good job because he's blocking the plate. He's got Brian Downing, who's a big dude. He's bearing down on Gary Carter, but this just perfect throw to Carter blocks the plate, puts the tag down, and keeps the keeps the score tied. I mean, just a great play. What what do you remember about it? Uh, I remember um, we actually had seats on the two hundred level down the first base slash right field line. Uh, I remember him co- Parker coming up with that and just throwing this sizzling ball 
uh, and the play at the plate and just thinking, okay, that was awesome. And the whole place went bonkers nuts. It was pretty impressive. Remember when Ichiro in his first game, it was against Oakland at the Coliseum, Man. throws out T. Long at third, and the, the great call from Dave Niehaus saying it's something straight out of Star Wars. The, this throw, I feel, had made that look like, you know, me throwing from right field. <laughs> this is just an absolute pill. And oh, yeah. on the fly to Carter, on a line, and he'd already had the great throw earlier to, to get right. Jim Rice at third. Just incredible. He was named MVP of that game, of that all-star game as well, thanks yes. to those throws. Dave Parker was also known, as we've already said it, the Cobra, perhaps because he could strike quickly with his bat and just as quickly with his wit, too. He was a very quick-witted guy. Always had a comeback, was always joking around. Though I did find another explanation that would make this a not safe for work podcast. So I'm just going to let your mind wander on that one. But that quick and powerful description was appropriate during a game in 1979 when Parker hit a ball to right field so hard that the outfielder had a hard time making the throw back in because Parker had actually, quote, knocked the cover off the ball, end quote, from the story I read. One of the seams on the ball ruptured when he hit it, making nearly half the cover come loose on the ball as they tried to throw it into the infield. <laughs> That's awesome. Real natural stuff happened. Yes, no kidding. Parker and the rest of the We Are Family Pirates went on to win the World Series that year, beating the Orioles. But injuries and a drop in production quickly turned Pittsburgh, which is, you know, it's a traditional blue-collar, hard-working town, quickly turned against Parker. He was making more money than anybody else in baseball and was, as we mentioned, the first million-dollar player. He was taunted at home, had batteries thrown at him from the stands. Even the top of his uh, convertible was slashed by Jeez. angry fans. Local columnist Charlie Feeney wrote, quote, How popular is Dave Parker in Pittsburgh? Let's put it this way. If Parker ran for mayor unopposed, he'd lose in a landslide. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So Parker played with the Bucks through the 1983 season, put up, you know, still good numbers, but not as good as his initial totals. And the fans never really got over that contract. As a free agent, Parker signed with his hometown Cincinnati Reds, where he returned to all-star form and led the league in home runs and RBI in 1985. I found it interesting when he became a free agent, only two teams offered him a contract, the Reds and the Mariners. Wow. Before the 1988 season, he was traded to the A's for Jose Rio and Tim Burtzis, where he helped the A's go to the World Series both years. In 1990, at the age of 39, he signed with the Brewers as a DH and was named an All-Star for the final time in his career. He spent time with the Angels and Blue Jays in 1991 before retiring. Overall, he won a league MVP, two World Series, was a seven-time All-Star, won three gold gloves, three silver sluggers, two batting titles, and was the All-Star Game MVP. Not to mention, he also won the first ever home run derby. So why isn't Dave Parker in the Hall of Fame? Well, Parker was a key figure in the Pittsburgh drug trials, which we've talked about many times before. Parker and others admitted to using cocaine in the late 70s and early 80s. Parker supposedly even arranged drug deals for players, according to the Washington Post. Other players that were in, you know, indicted in this, like Tim Raines, he's in. Keith Hernandez seems to be haunted by the same fate as Parker, and I think they both deserve to be in. 
Now, it just so happens, Mark, that today, January 28th, when this podcast is uh, debuting, today in 1986, Commissioner Peter Uberoth gave these seven players who were admitted drug users a choice of they could be suspended for a year without pay or they could pay fines, be subject to career-long drug testing, 100 hours of drug-related community service as well. Beyond Dave Parker, Joaquin Andujar, Jeffrey Leonard, Enos Cabell, Keith Hernandez, Dale Barra, and Lonnie Smith were included in that ruling. And they all chose to, to play. That right there, Mark, is professional podcasting. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm in awe. Yeah, and I'm going to be honest. That was so lucky. I just happened to look it up. Uh, what day did this actually happen? And then I looked at when this was debuting, and uh, it all came together. But Nice. Uh, while reading about Parker, one name that kept coming up as a comp, and, and especially in terms of the Hall of Fame, and that name is Harold Baines. Mm, okay. Now, now, Mark, I think you and I have come around on Baines. He is by no means a top-tier Hall of Famer. And yes, he did get in on a, a on a committee vote where three of the voters were supporters in his former manager, the uh, owner of his former team that retired his number and a former teammate. But he was a very good player. It was dangerous. Yeah. So it's really interesting looking at Parker's numbers compared to Harold Bands. I also included Dale Murphy, another guy that a lot of people think should be in the Hall of Fame. And when I look at their numbers through their careers, first of all, looking at OPS plus, all three of them exactly equal, 121. Wow. They all had the exact OPS plus as a career. Uh, Looking at home runs, Dale Murphy is on top there. He has 398, Baines 384, and Parker 339. Any of these categories you look at, they're just going to be shifting uh, first, second, and third. They're, they're pretty much equal all throughout, except for stolen bases where Harold Baines only had 34 <laughs> and was caught 34 times. That's not, <laughs> that's not good. But Murphy had 161. Dave Parker had 154 stolen bases. Not bad. Yeah, and uh, he also had a better batting average than Harold Baines. Uh, he also had a, a better slugging percentage than Harold Baines. Well, and didn't you say Parker won a couple batting titles? Yeah, he won a couple of batting titles. Don't even get me started on defense. I mean, obviously, he was one of the best defensive players of his day. He had his gold gloves. He had uh, the highlight reels. Yeah, Uh, 26 assists in one season. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you look at career war, Dale Murphy is on top with a 46.5, then Parker with 40.1, and Harold Baines with 38.8. Hmm. You know, some of the Sabre metrics don't really help Dave Parker, but when you're the best player in the game for any amount of time, I think that's got to weigh in in a decision. You know, again, the, the Pittsburgh drug trials is something that apparently Tim Raines <laughs> got over. Now, let me ask you this. I was thinking about this, Mark. If you had to build a team around somebody, would you choose Tim Raines or would you choose Dave Parker? I believe I would. Build around Dave Parker. Yeah, me too. And I love Tim Raines because you know what kind of players I like. Yeah. But Dave Parker could hit for average. He could hit for power. And he was a good defensive outfielder. Plus, he even had some speed. I mean, he was a a five-tool player. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Dave Parker's career OPS plus, if he were in, it would be the lowest among all right fielders in the Hall of Fame. 
Hmm. In fact, the only modern primary right fielder who is in the Hall of Fame is Harold Baines. <laughs> and oh, Harold wow. Baines, I don't think, I, I think most of the time he played, he was in right field, but he DH'd for a good portion yeah. of his career, as Parker did down the line. The modern lens of Dave Parker's numbers don't hold up as well, as I said, looking at some of the more advanced metrics. Uh, but this guy, like I said, best player in the game for a good chunk of time. Just listen to how Billy Hatcher, who was a teammate of Parker's, described Dave Parker as a player. He's the scariest man alive. I mean, Dave Parker, when you start talking about a complete ball player, he scared you when he was on defense because you knew if you hit the ball to right field, you tried to go to first, third, the ball was going to be there waiting on you. And then, you know, the parks weren't big enough. In the outfield, you want to get back a little further because he hit the ball so hard. And this guy, I mean, you look at him. He was 6'6", 200 and some pounds. He could run like he was a defensive back. He had the power of a, a linebacker. He was just a complete ball player. That says it, right? I mean, yeah, that's I think a contemporary that sums it up nicely. <laughs> yeah. So, besides being a beast on the diamond, Parker was a very loud personality. His teammates loved him, and he was always considered a great clubhouse guy. Another iconic picture of Dave Parker, besides the the hockey mask, is uh, of the Cobra standing in front of his locker wearing a T-shirt that says, "If you hear any noise, it's just me and the boys bopping." Now, this was a custom one-off shirt that Parker made for himself. The lyrics were a play from a Parliament song called Mothership Connection, which includes the lyrics, If you hear any noise, it's just me and the boys hitting that groovin', you gotta hit the band. So, in April of 76, Parker was standing at a bar of a club after a game, and he heard this song, and he was inspired, and he said, quote, I thought that if my teammates saw me strut into the clubhouse, cool and confident, wearing a badass message, that there would be nothing to worry about. Then he said, quote, because that's the mindset you need to succeed at this level. That's where the T-shirt came from, end quote. Mm. You can still buy this shirt. I mean, a million people make this shirt. He doesn't make any money off it. You can buy it on eBay or Amazon if you want to at this point. Now, a couple of other players since Parker have worn this T-shirt. And the oddest looking one is Evan Longoria. <laughs> Somebody put a shot of Evan Longoria wearing it next to Dave Parker. And it just, it looks so off. I mean, Dave Parker just exuded cool. Evan Longoria, I, I don't know that I can say he exudes cool. <laughs> well, he's cooler than me, but, but I mean, well, that goes I, you, normally I would agree, but I don't, you, I'll try and send you the picture. <laughs> okay. Uh, looking cool, like I said, never an issue for Parker. During the late 70s, he wore white tape, uh, athletic tape on his fingers to get a better feel for the bat, is what he said. I know I did it. I, I taped up my fingers like that because of him. I couldn't grip the bat when I did that, but he also did it to his shoes. He said, quote, it gave me a little more support, plus it looked cool, end quote. There you go. Now, I, I saw a picture of this, and if you can't imagine what he did, he would just tape, uh, essentially wrap tape around his shoe where the shoelaces were. So it kind of looks like a saddle shoe. And I, I know I did that the, the one year I played football in high school. Uh, we would do that so our laces wouldn't be flapping around, but it did look pretty cool. He was once quoted as saying, quote, the only thing bigger than me is my ego, end quote. But as Dizzy Dean once said, it ain't bragging if you can back it up. And he did. Yeah. Parker also wore a Star of David necklace. 
<laughs> for part of his career. Now, he's not Jewish. Okay. Uh, Parker uh, reasoned, quote, my name is David and I'm a star. <laughs> he also dropped this beauty about uh, his batting prowess. Quote, when the leaves turn brown, I'll be wearing the batting crown. End quote. <laughs> He's got a little Muhammad Ali in him, I think. He did, yeah. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Parker and his wife owned a couple of Popeye's chicken franchises in Cincinnati for a long time. And that Parker was also part of a 7-Up campaign along with Bruce Souter and Mike Schmidt. You can feel us coming now, a fresh look on the scene. With a whole new style of living, light and crisp and clean. That's why now we say the age of 7-Up is here. Because we love that crispy, refreshing taste, so light and crystal clear. Move it up, look it up. Hey, Dave Parker's turning 7-Up. America is turning 7-Up. Reach it up. Now... That's an awesome commercial, but man, 7-Up sucks. <laughs> like, not even that commercial can change my mind. 7-Up is bad. Now, Mark, we're probably going to lose out on a lot of 7-Up sponsor money because we said that, but... Here goes that contract. I'm going I'm to stick with my, my, my moral conscience here. I cannot recommend 7-Up. Uh, a big, powerful man... Dave Parker has taken on a new challenge at the later part of his life. He announced in 2013 that he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Parker has been involved in numerous fundraising events and has started the Dave Parker 39 Foundation that continues to further the research into this disease. Really breathtaking to see Dave Parker now. This huge, you know, guy that we remember is now, you know, struggling to to do things that uh, he used to be able to, you know, obviously do very easily. He's looking frail and uses a, a cane to get around. And we really uh, wish Dave Parker the best. But that is Dave Parker. Very nice, Jeff. All right, Mark, it is now time for almost everybody's favorite part of the show. <laughs> Not everyone, but some, most people. Yeah, most people. It is time where we are going to go ahead. We're going to open some old baseball cards and we're going to fight it out. We're going to duke it out. It is time for none other than Wax Packs. Wax Pack Hero! All right, Mark, today we've got a couple of packs of 1990 Donruss. We're going to open okay. these. Looking at the scoreboard, it's getting a little dire for me. You're at 18, I'm at 16, we're playing to 20. You're going for the back-to-back-to-back win championship. I have never <laughs> won. My fans are getting a little restless. My owner is, <laughs> we're going to have to make some changes if we don't come through here. So, uh, Yeah, I understand. We're really going to have to to suck it up here, but... If this is your first time uh, listening, let's go ahead and run through the rules for you. We're going to open up a couple of packs. As, a, as I said, 1990 Donruss. We are going to take the baseball reference war of that year, 1990 in this case, of each player that we pull. We'll add those up, but we've got a couple of things that can add or subtract points as well. Anything on the player's face. That means glasses, mustache, eye black. No earrings. Don't count. But uh, sideburns, we've decided, do for some reason. That's a plus one-tenth of a point for each of those. If they're wearing real stirrups where we can see their sanitary socks underneath, that's good. That's a tenth of a point. But if they're wearing the two-in-ones, that's a minus-tenth of a point because that doesn't look cool. If they've got sweatbands with their caricature or jersey number, that's a tenth of a point. Played any of their final three seasons in Seattle, a tenth of a point for each. Two flaps, no flaps on the batting helmet or batting without batting gloves, that's a tenth of a point. 
if they won any awards that year, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, All-Star, Gold Glove, that's a half a point of war. If there's a Hall of Famer in the picture, even if they're not the focus of the card, that is a whole point. If Ricky Henderson shows up in either pack, I get five points for that. If Nolan Ryan does, Mark, you get the five, and we're each going to pick one team. They show up in either pack. If my team shows up, I get a half a point. If Mark's team shows up, he gets a half a point. Who are you going to go with this week, Mark? I think I'm going to go with the Chicago Cubs. All right, you're going to go with the Cubs. I am going to, since we did Dave Parker, uh, I think I'm going to go with his original team. I'm going to go with the Bucks. Very nice. So let's go ahead and uh, pick a pack here. I've got a pack in my left hand and my right hand, Mark. Which one would you like? Uh, I'm going to go left this time. Left. All right, I'm going to have you go first because I went first the last two times and I lost. Okay. So uh, we're going to skip that. All right, Mark, now very rarely does it work out where your first card is just a winner for you. Yeah, it's rare. But uh, you've got an all-star. Well, no, it's not even an all-star card here. It's just a special card. It's got a star by the name, and it says 5,000 Ks. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And if I look on the back, it's hard to read his stats because he's uh, been around since 1966 when he came up with the Mets. His first name is Lynn. Uh, he is a junior, and he's a pitcher here for the Rangers. And uh, we know that you're already going to get five points right off the bat, plus he's a Hall of Famer. There's six points before we do anything else with this Nolan Ryan card. Yes, I, I was going to guess that it was Danny Darwin, but I, I decided to go with uh, Nolan oh, Ryan. Oh, yeah, that 5,000 strikeouts might yeah. have been the, the, the thing that might have changed it from being Danny Darwin. Let's <laughs> see. In 1990, at the age of 43, Nolan Ryan went 13-9 and nine with a 3.44 ERA, led the league in strikeouts for his final time, but the fourth year in a row with 232 and a 114 ERA plus. Also led the league in whip with a 1.034. I like that synergy. Very nice. Yes. And uh, only gave up six hits per nine while striking out 10.2. That's incredible. Wow. A lot of Advil. A lot of Advil. Yeah, you'd be ready to go another nine inning. (laughs) Let's see. So you've got a 3.5 war there. Plus, you have got the six points for the Hall of Fame and the uh, and the Nolan Ryan there. So that's a 9.5 <laughs> for Nolan Ryan. That card alone might win this round for you. That's uh, amazing. Wow. Well, congratulations on that. I'll put that well, aside. You know, I pointed out before, it is, this is a game of pure skill. You did pick the left pack, yeah. Yeah, skillful. All Skillfully right. pick the left card, yeah. Uh, we're not going to go into any more about Nolan Ryan. You can check out episode number 34 if you want more. Episode 34, on folks. Yep. <laughs> All right. Next card is somebody who I believe is on our Do Not Talk About list, nicknamed Nails. It's Lenny Dykstra with the Phillies. Hey, he had some good years. We'll see what the numbers say. Oh, he definitely had some good years. Yeah. In uh, Lenny Dykstra's 12-year career, only played for two teams, the Phillies and the Mets. Eight with the Phillies. He came up with the Mets. 1990, his lone All-Star year. Also finished ninth in the MVP validating, uh, led the league with 192 hits. He hit 325, led the league with a 418 on base. Goodness gracious. My goodness. Nine home runs, 60 RBI, 33 stolen bases, and a 138 OPS plus. And that, wow, a war of 8.9. Oh my lord. Plus, he was an all star. 
Uh, nothing else on this card is going to help you out, but that's a 9.4. He's only a tenth of a point off of Nolan Ryan. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> so after two cards, you are at 18.9. I've gone a month without scoring 18.9. Jeez. Uh, let's see. He was traded by the Mets with Roger McDowell to the Phillies for Juan Samuel. <laughs> That's right. That's quite a trade there. Uh, Lenny has had his problems. You know, again, I say this every time. We can say whatever we want about Lenny Dexter because the court has ruled that you can say whatever you want and he can't do anything about it. But we're going to just skip that. <laughs> and uh, Now, I guarantee you this next card is not going to score you nine plus war. But it's a good looking card. Third baseman for Cleveland, Brooke Jacoby. Oh, sure. Brooke Jacoby, nicknamed Jake. Do you think it's because he kind of looks like Tom Berenger, who was Jake in Major League? Maybe. I mean, these pictures, he looks a bit like him. I'm not going to lie. Let's see. Jake played for 11 years in the big leagues. Nine with Cleveland, two with Atlanta, and one for Oakland. Wow, look at you go. 1990, all-star, Brooke Jacoby. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. For the year, he hit 293, 365 on base, 14 home runs, 75 RBI, a 123 OPS plus. And it goes a 3.6 war. Plus, he's an all-star, so that's 4.1. On this card, he has got flip-down sunglasses and mustache. So that's 4.3, but he does have two and ones. So it was not a nine-point war, but it was still a 4.2 war for Brooke Jacoby. Right. Well, as soon as you said it, I went, well, Brooke Jacoby's going to give me at least four or five points. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) This might be our all-time highest pack. Yeah, can, can I? Can we just do your pack now, and we'll have a mercy rule? Uh, well, as long as I can add the rest of your pack to mine. <laughs> no, look, see what I'm running my mouth. Yeah, I, this could come back to haunt me. Probably not. But uh, now this one again, I can guarantee you, you're not even going to score Brooke Jacoby numbers on uh, pitcher for the Tigers, Edwin Nunez. I believe Mr. Nunez was a Mariner at one point. Well, let's see. Uh, he came up with Seattle. Uh, spent the first seven years in the big leagues with Seattle, but uh, finished his uh, term in Oakland with a couple of seasons. Yep. Tw- 13 years in the big leagues, though. That's pretty good. Seven with uh, seven with Seattle, two with Oakland and Detroit, two with Milwaukee, and one apiece with the Mets and the Rangers. 1990, he went 3-1 and one with a 2.24 ERA. Wow. Uh, overall, uh, 66 strikeouts in 80 innings, a 179 ERA+. Plus. And that's going to equal a 2.2 war plus a mustache will be 2.3. Uh, that's still, that's a good, good haul still. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. All right, so you're at 25.4. Your next card, infielder for the Mets, Keith Miller. Keith Miller, wow, there were two Keith Millers right about the same time. Let's see, Keith Miller, nine years in the big leagues, five with the Mets, four with the Royals, 1990. He hit 258, 327 on base. One home run, 12 RBI, 16 stolen bases, 76 OPS plus, and that will be a war of 0.5. Nothing on this card is going to help you out. That's, oh, wow, traded by the Mets with Greg Jeffries and Kevin McReynolds to the Royals for Bill Picota and Brett Saberhagen. Wow, I don't remember that. I Well, that's, that's how Jeffries ended up on the on the Royals and how Sabes uh, ended up on the Mets, obviously. And I think... I think that this was probably the the Mets weighted in his rapping ability, Saber Hagen's rapping ability. That's right, why they were willing to pe- uh, willing to part with Greg Jeffries. Right. Miller went on to be an agent 
Oh, wow. And uh, his notable clients, David Wright, Brandon Inge, and new Hall of Famer Scott Rowland. Wow. Yeah. Not bad. Him. All right, next, uh, what, this is a good card because he's a catcher, he's got a good mustache, and he's got a great nickname. It's Sluggo, Don Slot. Don Gotta love Don Slot. Always had a good mustache. In fact, oh. we're bordering on a, on a two-tenths of a pointer here. Let's see, Sluggo, 16 years in the big league, six with the Bucks, three with the Royals and Rangers, two with the Yankees, and then a couple of teams for one. In 1990, with the Bucks, 84 games, he hit 300 exactly, 375 on base, four home runs, 29 RBI, and a 132 OPS plus. All of that equals a 2.3 WAR. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you two tenths of a point. The mustache fills up the entire area between the nose <laughs> and the upper lip. It's so fully painted. Yes, that'll be a 2.5. Oh wow, he was he was traded at one point for Danny Darwin. Oh, that's a little weird. That's some synergy there. Uh, he was traded a lot, though. But, I mean, he was a he was a very solid guy that you could plug in there. He was a backup oh, catcher, yeah. but if, if he needed he it. Yeah, if, if he needed to be the number one while somebody was hurt, he could do it. Yeah, he was a solid hitter. Did career 283 hitter. Wow. Sluggo went on to found a company called Right View Pro, who was, which was the first video analyst system for baseball licensed by MLB and the Players Union. No kidding. So it looked like he, he jumped on the technology there. Good for him. As a member of the Players Union, I can say I, I approve of that. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. We're going to run into problems with this one. Pitcher for the Cardinals. Which one? We don't know. It's Chris Carpenter. Oh. Now, there's been 18 Chris Carpenters who have played for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Now, this one, I'm pretty sure we got that right. It's Chris spelled C-R-I-S. No H in there. Chris Howell Carpenter, eight years in the big leagues, five with the uh, Birds, two with the Rangers, one with the Marlins, and one with the Brewers. In 1990, only appeared in four games, no record, 4.5 ERA, 89 ERA plus, and a war of zero. Zero. Now, war of zero. good news for you is he's got some real stirrups on here, so you'll get a tenth of a point. And I'm just happy because I am sure this is the Chris Carpenter. I, I'm... I'm well, okay, I'm, I'm fairly sure <laughs> that this is Chris. I love when you go to Wikipedia, the first line is not to be confused with former professional baseball pitchers, Chris Carpenter or Chris Carpenter. <laughs> There's so many of them. It's ridiculous. Next, uh, you've got a member of Atlanta, second baseman Jeff Treadway. Uh, let's see, nine years in the big leagues, four with Atlanta, two with a bunch of other teams in 1990 with Atlanta, let's see, 128 games, 283 average, 320 on base, 11 home runs, career high by a mile, 59 RBI in a 94 OPS plus, and that is a war of 1.0 even. Nothing on the card's going to help you out, but this is a good look. It's just a head and shoulder shot, but it's at Dodger Stadium, and it looks like it's right before first pitch because the outfield stands are full. You can see the scoreboard in the background, that Chevron scoreboard. That's a, it's a good looking card there. Nice. But uh, you get absolutely, oh, I don't know, I'm sorry, exactly one point. That takes you to 29.5 with one card left. <laughs> wow. Holy, uh, Jeff Treadway pulled off the hidden ball trick twice in the big leagues. Wow, sneaky. Yeah, good for him. All right, your final, oh, wow, your final card. Uh, it's not Charlie Huff, but it's someone that if, if they could actually look older than Charlie Huff, they have successfully done it here. Pitcher for the Brewers, Jerry Royce. 
Ah, Jerry Rolls Royce. Now, Jerry Royce here, if you told me this was a picture of the uh, the old pitcher in Major League, I, I would have, yeah. I would, I'd buy it. Jerry Royce pitched for 22 years in the big leagues. He was a rookie in 1969. Wow. He, Nolan Ryan was in the league before Jerry Royce was. <laughs> Just oh by a year. God. But, I mean, if you put them side by side, they look, I mean, Jerry Royce looks 20 years older. He's probably not popping Advil, though. That's probably what it is. Uh, let's see. Dodgers for nine, Pittsburgh for six, and then a bunch of other teams. 1990 <clears throat> was his final year. He actually pitched for the Bucks that year. Only appeared in four games, no record. 3.52 ERA and a 108 ERA plus. And that will equal a war of 0.1. Plus, he's got a mustache. A lot of gray in it, though. Uh, but still, a point. I'll give you 0.2 on that. And that will take your total to 29.7. Okay. I I could take two weeks and still not get that. Well, it was the first two cards. It was like, okay, come on. Yeah, exactly. By the way, Jerry Royce, uh, a photographer, uh, he's on Facebook and uh, he posts a lot of pictures. He used to like to take pictures of stadiums when they were empty, like during even before batting practice. So there's just nobody in them. They're interesting pictures. So uh, you are at 29.7. I, I just don't know how I'm going to do this. Shouldn't be a problem, man. You just got to stay focused. All right. So uh, my first, well, this is, I mean, it's a good card. It's a good looking card. I know this guy went on to be a base coach for the A's, uh, a scout who actually convinced the Astros to sign uh, Jose Altuve when nobody else wanted to. Here with the Rangers, second baseman Fred Manrique. So Fred Manrique, nine years in the big leagues, uh, three with the White Sox, two with Toronto, one with a couple of different teams, ended up with the A's in 1991. 1990 with the Twins, 69 games, 237 average, 254 on base, five home runs, 29 RBI, a 63 OPS plus, and uh, that's a minus point two more. Now, we look at the card, though. First of all, this is an old Comiskey, I can tell by the box seats uh, in the back. He has got uh, two for ones on, or not two for ones. He's got actual stirrups on. Uh, He has got a mustache and he has got science teacher glasses on. So I'm going to actually end up with a positive 0.1 out of that. Yeah, If I remember correctly, he always had those big specs. Yep, Yep. he he did. This is just, this is a good looking card though. He's got the all red Franklin gloves on. Uh, He's wearing his, his hat underneath the batting helmet too. Nice. I mean, you do not see that. At, that's something that has definitely been completely lost. Nobody, yep. nobody does that anymore. Uh, let's see. Once traded with Harold Baines from the Sox to the Rangers for Wilson Alvarez, Scott Fletcher, and Sammy Sosa. Mm. Wow. Uh, pretty names. Cool. So uh, strong start with a point one. I am only 29.6 away. <laughs> All right, next I've got a rated rookie here with the Expos. It's pitcher Mark Gardner. A rated rookie, Mark Gardner. Yeah. Let's see. Mark Gardner ended up with 13 years in the big leagues, came up with Montreal for four, ended up with six with the Giants, two years with the Florida, with the Florida, with the Marlins, and one with the Royals in 1990. It was his first full year in the big leagues. For Montreal, he went seven and nine with a 3.42 ERA, led the league and hit batter. With nine, uh, 107 ERA plus, and all of that equals a war of 2.1. Uh, he's got a good mustache here, so that'll be a 2.2. Not terrible. 
I'm still not even up to your first card. I'm not even halfway to your first card. So in 1991, Gardner no-hit the Dodgers for nine innings. Came out to start the 10th, which is another thing that's speaking of unheard of. Wow. And gave up two hits to start the bottom of the 10th. And then Jeff Facero relieved him and gave up a hit to Daryl Strawberry. And Gardner ended up with the loss, one to nothing. Oh, that's terrible. And get this, two nights later, his teammate Dennis Martinez threw a perfect game against the Dodgers. Goodness gracious. Wow, that Dodgers offense was dormant there in the series, weren't they? I think they were out of focus. Yeah. Okay, so uh, my next card, here we go, pitcher for the, man, this is the most, like, common pack ever. Pitcher for the Orioles, Mark Williamson. Yes. Do I need to start picking the packs? You know, I let you pick between the the, two. (laughs) Maybe that's the key. That must be it. Let's see. Mark Williamson, eight years in the big leagues, every one of them as a Baltimore Oriole. In 1990, he went 8-2 with a 2.21 ERA. That's pretty good. In middle relief, he uh, 49 games appeared, 15 finished, only one save. So he was a middle reliever, 85 innings, 60 strikeouts, a 172 ERA plus, and that will equal a war of 2.2. Uh, plus he's got real stirrups on, so that I will double my score with Mark Williamson. There you go. Now I've reached half of your first card. <laughs> <laughs> this is oh. not, not. This is big surprises around the corner. Just watch. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, look at this. Part of a combined no-hitter. July 13th, 1991, along with Bob Malacki, Mike Flanagan, and Greg Olson against the Oakland A's. I believe that is the last no-hitter thrown against the A's in 1991. I'm almost 100% positive of it. (laughs) Uh, Now a real estate broker in San Diego. If you're looking for a home in the greater San Diego area, look for Mark Williamson. There you go. He's got stories. Yep. All right. Next, uh, for the White Sox, here's a good card. Outfielder Dan Pasqua. Ten years in the big leagues, seven with the White Sox, three with the Yankees. 1990 with the White Sox, 112 games. Hit 274, 347 on base, 13 home runs, 58 RBI. A 136 OPS plus, and that will be a 2.4 war for Dan Pasqua. He does have the science teacher glasses, and he's got some really nice real stirrups here. So that'll be a 2.6. Like, this is a completely average pack. Like, the, the score is not bad, but your pack was just so good that this is not anywhere close. Yeah, it was, uh, I, I hate to admit it, but I did sneak into your office. Oh, you, you stacked this, yes. your pack well. That's it right. worked. <laughs> Even though I shuffled the two packs in my hand so you wouldn't know which one was which, but... Well, you know, again, I was using the uh, ESPN. Oh, yes. That's always on. So I'm at 7.2, and I've got five cards left. I'm I'm still feeling confident. All right. Next uh, pitcher. Oh, I love this. We've talked about him. He's got a great name for a pitcher. Here with the Cardinals, Ted Power. Kenny Powers. Let's see. Ted Powers, 13 years in the big leagues, six with the Reds, and then a whole bunch of other teams. Good news for me. Oh. His final year in 1993, he was uh, pitching for none other than your Seattle Mariners. Get that. There you go. 1990, though, he was with the Bucks. went 1-3 and three with a 3.66 ERA in 40 games. Had seven saves, 51 and two-thirds innings, 42 Ks, a 99 ERA plus, and that will equal overall a war of exactly zero. <laughs> uh, now, Teddy, though, coming through, he's got real stirrups, and he's got a two-tenths of a mustache. Right there. So that'll give me at least three-tenths of a point for Teddy Powers. Yeah, that's a good mustache. 
If you, if you want the definition of a two-tenths of a point mustache, check out the 90 Don Rust Ted Power card. hey All right. I'm at 7.5. Next, I got another pitcher here with the Reds. This guy liked to, uh, when he wasn't pitching at Wrigley, liked to go across the street, catch a couple innings from the, uh, the bleachers on top of the apartments there. It's Tom Browning. I think Tom Browning just passed away recently, didn't he? I think you're right. That sounds familiar. Let's see. Yeah, just uh, passed away in December of last year, December 19th. Yes, he did. And uh, we did uh, we did a whole, well, I don't think it was a whole episode. I think he might have been uh, on uh, Tales from the Dugout. Yeah. The, uh, his adventures uh, at, at Wrigley Field. Let's see, 12 years in the big leagues, 11 with the Reds, and then one final year with Kansas City. 1990, he went 15-9. I like that. 3.8 ERA, led the league in games started. The third year in a row he did that, and the fourth out of the last fifth seasons. Very durable. Uh, let's see, 227 innings pitched, only 99 strikeouts, a 105 ERA+, plus, and that equals a 4.1 war. Nothing else on the cards can help me out, but I'll take a 4.1. Uh, of course, Browning was on that 90 Reds team that we don't talk about. What happened in the World Series there? Yeah. Interesting. That or the 88. agree on that. The, the 88 or the 90, we just don't care about. Well, 89, I'll talk about all day. Uh, now, apparently, he co-authored a book called Tom Browning's Tales from the Reds Dugout. Now, I guess we won't think about any kind of legal action there. I mean, mm. it says Tom Browning's Tales from the Reds Dugout. So I think there's... I think there's enough game or enough difference there that we'll let that go. Uh, of course, Tom Browning through the 12th perfect game in baseball history against the Dodgers. I, I mean, do they get, except for the Mariners, do they get the most perfect <laughs> no hit games against them? I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would assume that it's definitely somewhere in the record books for them. Three months earlier, he had a no hitter broken up with one out in the ninth when he gave up a single to Tony Gwynn. Wow. Almost through another perfect game, taking a perfect game the next year into the ninth against the Phillies when Dickie Thong broke it up with a double. Oh, wow. All right. Well, I got a Hall of Famer. This will definitely help me right here. Although I just don't think it's going to be enough. But here with the Dodgers is Eddie Murray. Oh, there you go. At least you know you're getting some numbers. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's with the Dodgers here, so it was a little bit later in his career. Uh, well, he was 34 at this point, 21 years in the big leagues, 13 with Baltimore, four with the Dodgers, three with Cleveland, also with the Mets and the Angels. In 1990, 155 games, he hit 330, a 414 on base. Wow. 26 home runs, 95 RBI, eight stolen bases. He had 110 wow. stolen bases. The next year at 35, he had 10 stolen bases. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, all wow. this is good for a 159 OPS plus. Also led the league in intentional walks this year with 21. Wow. And came in fifth in the MVP voting. All that will equal a 5.2 war. He's a Hall of Famer, so that'll be 6.2. He's wearing real stirrups. And of course, you know he's got a great mustache. Of course. So that'll be a 6.4. I'll take that. I got a long ways to go, but that bumps me up to 18. I'm only 11.7 behind you with two cards left. Uh, a miracle can happen. I mean, there's there's a chance, but it's very, very slim. Eddie won one World Series, that with the Orioles in 1983. Oh, he, wow. I, I think we've mentioned this before, but he was a teammate in high school at Locke High School in Los Angeles with Ozzie Smith. 
How great of a high school team must that have been? That's ridiculous. Wow. Jeez. Wow. When uh, when Eddie Murray was traded from the Orioles in 1988, the uh, Baltimore Sun called it one of the lowest moments in the city's sports history, as sad as the Colts leaving for Indianapolis. Wow. All right. So a couple of things we've mentioned before. Eddie Murray's got a statue outside Oriole Park in Baltimore. Also had a brewery in Baltimore named a beer after him, a, a wheat IPA named Steady Eddie. Nice. All right. My second to last card. I don't think this is going to get me a lot of points, uh, but he's got a good mustache. Catcher here for the Dodgers, Rick Dempsey. He played a while. I think, I think Rick Dempsey is the last catcher to wear just his hat underneath his catching mask. Really? Yeah, I mean, I remember he did that. I'm I'm assuming he had to be the last one. Uh, also, wow, the uncle of Greg Zahn. Did not know that. I didn't know that either. Must be the first time we've had Rick Dempsey on Wax Packs. 24 years in the big leagues. Again, Nolan Ryan debuted before Rick Dempsey. Dempsey <laughs> debuted in 1969. 12 years with the Orioles, four with the Twins, four with the Yankees, three with the Dodgers, and then Cleveland and Milwaukee for one. 1990, at the age of 40, appeared in 62 games, hit 195, 318 on base, two home runs, 15 RBI, 69 OPS plus, and that will still be good for a .2 war. I'm going to give him two-tenths of a point on the mustache. I'll get a .4 out of that. He won two World Series, one as a teammate of uh, Eddie Murray in 83 with the Orioles, and then in the uh, one of the World Series we don't talk about, 88 with the Dodgers. Wow. He pitched uh, twice in his career. And get this, it was both at age 41. In 1991, he appeared in two games, two innings, gave up three hits, one earned run, and walked one. For an ERA of 4.5, which isn't bad. It's, it could be worse. For a 41-year-old. Right. It's not too bad. Oh, boy. Remember, I? It, it's a classic video of during a rain delay. I mean, this is a classic, like, this week in baseball, when uh, he stuffed a pillow under his jersey and went oh, yeah. out on the uh, on the, the tarp where yep. it's raining and uh, hits Run it. around sliding. Yep. And, Inside yep. the park home run and then uh, flops on his belly and he slides across home base. Just one of the great videos of, of <laughs> baseball there. Hey, man, they wanted to entertain that poor crowd who had come to see him. They did a great job of it. Yeah, I, I guess I got to watch it again here because it says here, oh, he did this more than once. One time he did it while wearing a pair of underpants over his uniform, making fun of teammate Jim Palmer's famous advertisements for oh God, Josh Brand briefs. That is funny. Hey, and real quick, Jim Palmer trivia question. Just because I happen to know this, how many grand slams did Jim Palmer give up in his career? I'm going to say zero. Zero is correct. It's a long time pitching. Yeah. Not getting up a grand slam. Pretty, pretty darn impressive. All right. So my final card, I'm at 18.4 again. You are at 29.7. My final card Good player, but uh, I think it's a little early in his career to get a bunch of big numbers. It is Gary Sheffield here as a third baseman with the Brewers. Yeah, isn't that how he came up? Yep, that's how he came up. Let's see, 22 years in the big league, six with Florida. He didn't spend a long time with any team. Six with Florida, four with the Dodgers and the Brewers, three with the Yankees, two with Atlanta and San Diego and Detroit, and then one as a Met. In 1990, it was his first full Season, 125 games. He hit 294, 350 on base, 10 home runs, 67 RBI, 25 stolen bases, and a 116 OPS plus. 
and that equals a war of 3.1. He does have real stirrups on here, so that will be a 3.2. Well, you didn't have a horrible week, Jeff. I really didn't. I finished up with a 21.6. That's solid, actually. That is a really good... Yeah, that's a really good pack for me, especially, but just nowhere near yours. So that'll bump you up to 19 wins, and you could clinch your third straight championship next week. Well, we're uh, we're certainly not counting our or hatcheting our counts before the chicken. You know what? Thinking of the way we score this, uh, the subject for this week, Dave Parker, he would be a big big score in in wax packs because he had a mustache. He always wore his jersey number or wore the Mims band sweatbands, two of them. He <laughs> always wore real stirrups. Uh, and then just the big numbers. He'd be a good good pickup on this game. Congratulations, just another one. That's going to wrap up this uh, version of Wax Packs Heroes. Mark is just storming through the season again towards what seems inevitable. And uh, I might need to start looking for a new job next year. There might be some major changes. <laughs> All right, but uh, that's going to also wrap up this episode. Thank you once again for listening. Um, We'll do this again next week, but if you can't get enough of us, uh, you can find us on all the socials. We are at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those things. We also have a uh, Gmail address that Mark likes to uh, take care of. Yeah, you can write to us at two strike noise. Spell it out, T W O strike noise at gmail.com. All right. Well, thank you for joining us once again, and we will see you next week on the next episode of Two Throwover Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day, y'all.